0: Hey everybody, welcome to another Ithaca Bound podcast episode. I'm your host, Andrew Schiestel, and this is the podcast where we explore history and mythology in the Mediterranean Basin. Today I'm joined with Dr. Hussein Yilmaz for a conversation about the founding of the Ottomans. Dr. Yilmaz is Associate Professor at George Mason University. He's also Research Director at the Ali Veral Akh Center for Global Islamic Studies, based in the U.S. His research areas are world history, Ottoman history, Middle East, early modern political thought, and translation and transmission of knowledge. He has written many publications over his career, including a book as an example. He's author of Caliphate Redefined, The Mystical Turn in Ottoman Political Thought, which was published by Princeton University Press. And he joins the show today from Istanbul, Turkey. Welcome to the show, Hussein.
1: Thank you for inviting me. Pleasure nice to be here.
0: It's nice to chat with you today, Hussein. So to start the conversation off, what was the Ottomans?
1: The Ottomans were a frontier state that came into being towards the end of the 13th century and the beginning of the 14th century in a place where there was no imperial structure namely western anatolia was divided among petty small mostly turkic principalities uh, competing against uh, each other so in that power vacuum uh, the ottomans emerged from a small tribal association into uh, an independent political entity uh, and started to expand mostly uh, towards the west, uh, towards Byzantine and Balkan territories, but also uh, towards other Turkic uh, principalities, and establish themselves um, as um, as a state that incorporates uh, local power structures, uh, both social and political.
0: Okay, in the um in, in, in the in the founding um period of of time uh i think you'd mentioned the 13th 14th centuries and please in your next response if 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 you want to um uh narrow it in even further uh, uh by all means uh what's what's known about the actual inception of of the ottomans is is there is there a lot in the in the records about how how they they came into existence as in was there actually a specific date in which a group of people began calling themselves the Ottomans and and, and also not to ask too many questions at once but if you could share also what what uh, more about the term o- Ottoman what that what the etymology of the term is
1: uh, Thank you um, <laughs> most of what we know about early Ottoman history is being debated uh, let's put, uh, at, at least, Uh, we could say that. And interestingly, the very origins of the Ottomans were problematized at the time when the Ottoman Empire was going down, uh, namely 1920s. Then historians increasingly got interested about who the Ottomans were, in what context uh, they emerged, uh, what type of state uh, they conceived, uh, and what actually tangible evidence we know about uh, the Ottomans. So including the very name uh, of the Ottomans, uh, everything we know was questioned uh, over the past century of uh, scholarship. Now we know uh, that the Ottomans uh, took their name from its uh, founding uh, prince, uh, Osman Beg, uh, but even that name uh, was not sure uh, for many historians, and still some historians might argue that it's not actually Osman but Ottoman. Uh, so whether it's the Osman Arabic name or Ottoman Turkic uh, name or some uh, local name, we don't know. We don't know much about their uh, faith uh, because much of what we know about the Ottomans uh, were recorded much later. So contemporary evidence at best is scanty, and um, it's very understandable that the animals were not quite noticed uh, by the contemporaries because they were nomads, Uh, they were nomadic community in the midst of uh, well established sedentary communities in Western Anatolia. So they didn't catch the attention of the contemporaries, but from 13 20s upwards uh, we have some contemporary references uh, sort of inscriptions uh, from buildings uh, they did from mintage uh, they used and most importantly some uh, byzantine and arab uh, historical sources start mentioning uh, them still uh, not in a very noticeable way uh, but just uh, they, they caught their eye uh, Ibn Battuta, uh, for example, the famous um, uh, traveler, uh, passed through Western Anatolia, and he actually met uh, Orhan Beg, uh, the second Ottoman uh, ruler. Uh, he praised him, and he's actually saw in in Orhan is uh, a potential great ruler uh, because Orhan was uh, in a uh, in a campaign of conquests um, and. He was uh, in every, in based on Ibn Battuta's account, uh, everywhere he was conquering, he was also building. Uh, so he, Ibn Battuta's ob- observation or Hamberg uh, was uh, a truly foundational figure uh, of a growing uh, state. However, here the most important um, distinguishing. Characteristic of the Ottomans in comparison to other neighboring principalities and the Byzantine Empire was uh, their fluid uh, and nomadic structure. Namely, they were continuously incorporating Byzantine feudal uh, establishments um, and loose social um communities uh, in the frontier region, uh, such as Dervish. Uh, communities uh, or other uh, urban communities. So the Ottomans expanded mostly by incorporating uh, local social uh, structures uh, rather than um, having a well-organized uh, army. So it's a very different kind of expansion, let's say, than the Mongol uh, expansion. If um, if.
0: What would a date range be? Because you mentioned there is some uh, there's th- things that's unknown, and and there's there's not consensus on the the exact um, founding of 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 uh, when um, the circumstances around the the founding of the the Ottomans. If there was a date range, what, what date range do you feel comfortable as a scholar saying they it, they they probably were founded in this in this range? Because you mentioned you mentioned thirteen twenty as a date, but I don't think that was the date that they were necessarily founded. But it gives us kind of that range. Is there uh, or, or a period in time? Is there is there a range that that you feel comfortable saying that they, they were probably founded in?
1: Um, I would say I um, the conventional date to start the Ottomans is twelve ninety nine. However, uh, the godfather of modern Ottoman historiography, Halil Inalcik, uh, rejected it, uh, and he proposed uh, 1302, uh, the Battle of Baphius, the Ottomans won against the uh, Byzantines. In my view, I think it's a process. Uh, we can only explain uh, the rise of the Ottomans. We see they started to act independently from early 13th century onwards no 14th century early 14th century onwards by 1320s they started to mint, uh, which is a symbol of uh, true independence and 9 1350s we see they declare uh, their independence um, in more pronounced language um, and uh, political insignia because at the time the Ottomans uh, were rising, Anatolia was still under, under the tutelage of uh, Mongol rulers. Uh, so early Ottoman rulers, including Osman and Orkan, were both taxpayers uh, to the Mongol rulers. So they were uh, theoretically part of the Mongol Empire, uh, despite the fact that the Mongol rule was quite loose uh, in Western Anatolia. However, uh, from 1350s onwards, uh, the Mongol rule greatly uh, diminished in the Western Anatolia, and the Ottomans started to completely um, behave independently. So we could say roughly mid 14th century as a true independence of the Ottomans.
0: Okay, um, before the mid 14th century, so in those those early 1300s, perhaps. Late 1200s. Um, did any of their writings survive?
1: No, we have nothing from the Ottomans themselves except references from later uh, sources. I mean, obviously, uh, there were some historical uh, sources, chronicles, for example, uh, written by the early Ottomans, um, and they also uh, issued official documents uh, such as deeds of. Property uh, or deeds of endowments, we have later copies of those endowments, uh, but not contemporary uh, copies. So uh, these are the only, and also mintage, uh, these are the only tangible evidence we have.
0: Do scholars consider them Turkic? And can you expand on, and if so, can you expand on what uh, Turkic? Yes,
1: yes. Uh, more and more scholars consider them as uh, Turkic, but not necessarily in the rigidly ethnic uh, sense, because this is also a matter of a century of debate. Uh, one of the earliest historians that problematized the origins of the Ottomans, Gibbons um, from Britain actually argued that the Adamans, uh must have been Christians. Uh, and then converted to Islam at some uh, point. So they were not necessarily Turkic, uh, About, per his view, Paul Wittek, the most important historian about the origins of the Ottomans, argued that they were Turkic Muslim Gazis, raiders for the faith. Um, And many later historians um, uh, pointed to their uh, Turkic identity uh, and uh, origins. Uh, speaking about Ottoman's self-definition uh, uh, in their own records uh, from later centuries uh, they were 100% uh, Turkey. In fact, uh, they were coming from August uh, genealogy uh, from Central Asia. Um, and uh, the question here is whether that genealogy an ethnic origin is fabricated uh, in the 15th century, or uh, it was drawn uh, from earlier um, self-identification. In my view, uh, the first of the historical record uh, that defines uh, the Ottomans as Turkic, not only Turkic, but as Oghuz, uh, a very definite uh, branch uh, of Turkic uh, peoples. And among the Oghuz, they were from the Kayy, Uh, tribe. Very specific uh, definition is uh, from uh, 1420s. And to fabricate such ethnic genealogy uh, a century after the foundation of the Ottomans is too recent uh, in memory uh, to fabricate. Uh, So you, I think the historians of uh, the early 15th century relied uh, on oral uh, accounts uh, and memory uh, to, uh, to elaborate uh, the Turkic origins of the uh, Ottomans. However, Turkic here, we have to uh, specify the founding dynasty uh, of the Ottomans uh, were Turkic uh, from a nomadic origin. As they grew up, uh, they uh, associated uh, with other structures uh in the region uh and even the dynasty uh expanded through intermarriages uh, for most out, early ottoman rulers uh married uh local royalties uh including byzantine princes uh bulgarian uh princes uh so rigidly speaking uh they were a mixed dynasty uh if you take the patriarchal line yes uh they were a turkey uh, dynasty also uh they've most of the early associates uh, of Ottoman rulers, of Osman or Orkan, uh, for example, see we see as converts uh, from Byzantine nobility. So if you refer to the Ottomans as a broader uh, establishment, uh, it was a mixed, ethnically mixed entity. But the founding dynasty is, yes, Turkic.
0: Okay. Before we um, spend a bit more time on uh language um, ge- geopolitical environment at this at this uh, gi- given time uh, etc um is there any uh, f- founding or origin uh, traditions that that exists that's popular um, about the about the Ottomans is there one is there one is there is there one or two that you want to share if there's more than one
1: It's uh, the Ottomans because the Ottomans, rose in a frontier region. Uh, First of all, the political boundaries were quite fluid. So we have uh, poets and scholars and Sufis from the era uh, who did not necessarily associate themselves with the Ottomans or with any political structures. Uh, But we have a number of uh, poets uh, such as Ashik Pasha. Ashik Pasha Wrote a long epic uh, about epic uh, book uh, on the uh, on morality <clears throat> and became well read uh, in the frontier region, including uh, the Ottomans. We have Elvan Chalebi, actually his father, uh, who wrote uh, the a geography of an earlier uh, Sufi dervish. Again in Uh, in verse, Uh, that also became uh, a popular read among the Ottomans, including uh, all of Western. Uh, So all these authors uh, wrote at the time the Ottomans were on the rights in the same language uh, that the Ottomans uh, were speaking, Uh, but it's very difficult to call uh, or designate any of these authors as specifically Ottoman. Uh, cause they did not themselves dissociate uh, with the Ottomans. But yes, from the 14th century, we had plenty of literary output uh, for Western Anatolia, including Ottoman domains.
0: What's known about uh, their their language? Can you speak more about um, what, what language they were speaking? Um, what, uh, in, in this early period, uh, what family that would have fallen inside of?
1: Yeah, all the evidence uh, show uh, that they spoke Western Turkish. And this was a critical era in the history of Turkish language uh, that it started to differentiate uh, from uh, more dominant Central Asian uh, dialects such as uh, Çatay, uh Turkish. Uh, in the Western uh, Turkish, uh, they started to... Um, um, actually uh, communicate uh we have a few uh extant documents uh that they penned uh at the time they issued uh, property deeds uh, for example and then almost all the literary output uh, from Western um, Anatolia including the Ottomans uh were um, in in Turkish however, Besides Turkish, uh, we see that the Ottomans started to employ bureaucrats, uh, trained bureaucrats from other um, states, uh, somehow ended up in Western uh, Anatolia. Some fled for their uh, security, some fled for wars going on in these regions, including Egypt and uh, Iran and Central Asia. They were employed and they carried their expertise into early Ottoman uh, states. So early Ottoman state, we could say, mostly used Persian uh, as the language of uh, bureaucracy. But all the evidence suggests uh, that the court language was Turkish, uh, Western Turkish, um, and the primary language of literature uh, was also uh, Turkish.
0: What family, language family, would uh, Turkish fall into?
1: Well, according to linguists, uh, it falls into Ural Altai uh, family of uh, languages. Uh, but as you may know, some linguists just uh, reject the whole idea of uh, language families. Uh, so, uh, Turkish um, was an interesting addition. Uh, into the region uh, where Persian, uh, for example, uh, was the dominant bureaucratic and uh, cultural language uh, in the European language. And then Arabic was a language of (coughs) science and philosophy, mostly which was, it is a Semitic uh, language. Uh, So Turkish uh, is from the same family as Mongolian, We can extend it to Hungarian, Finnish, Korean, etc.
0: And when you mention the Persian language, um, the show has covered the Sasanian Empire's hegemony in the past with a former colleague of yours, uh, Dr. Michael Decker, uh, was on the show a couple couple weeks ago, and we covered that topic. Um, So the language that the... um, Sasanians would have been speaking, would that have been similar at all to the uh, Persian language that Ottomans may have been speaking in these early years?
1: Um, it's hard to say, but most probably it was quite different uh, because Sasanians uh, were using a very old version of uh, Persian, the Behlevi, uh version of uh, Persian. Uh, by that time uh, Persian language also evolved uh, significantly uh, and the Ottomans uh, the Ottomans themselves did not really have an opportunity to study or learn Persian uh, especially early Ottomans because there were not much uh, learning facilities uh, in western Anatolia at the time so they mostly were exposed to Persian uh, to the Persian uh that ending up in uh, Ottoman uh, domains, uh, and that was a very, very uh, late uh, version of Persian. Okay. But language plays a very significant role uh, in the formation and the rise of the Ottomans, uh, because uh, especially from the fifth, uh, middle of the 14th century onwards, the Ottoman rulers actually commissioned uh, the translation of, uh, works uh, from Persian and Arabic into, uh, Turkish. And many of those works included, um, eulogies, uh, and panegyrics uh, about the Ottoman rulership, uh, especially in introductions. So language, uh, became an instrument of, uh, political consolidation, uh, and political identity. Uh, so a community, who are versant uh, in Turkish language emerged uh, along with the political rise of the Ottomans.
0: Okay. You mentioned um, religion uh, earlier, can you speak more about what, what what's known about their religious orientation in these early years?
1: The Ottomans, uh, as we spoke, were of nomadic origin, uh, that means they did not inherit learned islam uh, or they were not exposed uh, to conventional um, islamic practices because they were not a sedentary uh, community of course as they grow they employed scholars uh, but even the reach of those scholars in nomadic communities uh, were quite uh, limited so we could at best say uh, that the Ottomans uh, were muslims uh, in the beginning um, they but the degree of their uh, affiliation uh, with the extensive uh, religious uh, rituals uh, and learning and practices uh, it's hard to say. Uh, the rulers uh, perhaps uh, were more cognizant uh, because they were more exposed but for the broader Ottoman uh, community, their Islamic, Um, identity uh, was quite fluent uh, at the time, uh, and only as a result of a long process uh, became more and more uh, pronounced. And even in that process, um, I think Turkish played an instrumental uh, role, because most of the texts uh, which were commissioned to be translated, the religious texts uh, in the 14th century, through those texts, um, the nomadic communities were more and more exposed uh, to Islamic religion. And even that said, <clears throat> Western Anatolia in general, uh, first of all, because of a lack of a imperial structure, uh, and also, secondly, because it was at the fringes uh, of the Islamic world, uh, it was a uh, was an open space uh, for all sorts of religious affiliations and articulations uh, so we see dervish communities uh, who could uh, expose views uh, which would be quite problematic uh, in places such as cairo or baghdad or Samarkand, where there are very strong religious learning institutions already well entrenched uh, in the uh, society. So, others were exposed uh, to these, uh, so to speak, marginal views uh, of Islam um, in the in the frontier uh, region. Uh, but gradually, uh, they became more and more affiliated with the Sunni uh, Islam with the establishment of madrasas and other learning institutions.
0: Was there a a year? When the Ottoman Ottomans officially uh, accepted Islam as a, a state religion.
1: Uh, no, there is no such date. There is uh, from the very beginning we see that Osman um, was attributed to have uh, uh, to have had his name mentioned uh, in Friday sermon but we don't have much of contemporary evidence from osman's reign. uh let's say for the first three decades of the ottoman state but afterwards uh from the second ruler onwards uh we see plenty of architectural evidence uh like dervish um lodges uh and plenty of mosques uh were built uh in ottoman uh domains uh so those tell us uh, that the Ottomans were quite sure and certain um, about their Islamic credentials. However, there is no uh, such such occasion uh, that they came out uh, and
0: showed uh, their Islamic credentials. Can you speak about the the terms uh, sultans? And so, sultan and the term caliph in in this context, um, there's uh, certain states in this in in, in history in this in the part of the world where um, the caliphs are in existence. But to my understanding, uh, in certain states, the the term sultan doesn't exist. But then in other states, the terms caliph caliphs and uh, sultans exist as as terminology. I think you mentioned Osman. Uh, in in those early years was considered a prince. I, I I probably I presume that's because of the relationship with the Mongols at that at that point in time. So can 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 you speak about uh, the term Sultan and Caliph in, in this in this context?
1: Uh, very intriguing question, <laughs> mm-hmm. I should say, because you know, royalty is love to use all sorts of titulature. Uh, in, in historical documents they look very indiscriminate. <clears throat> However, the Ottomans, including the Ottomans, uh, those royalties were quite um quite punctual uh in their use of titles uh because of the implications of those uh titles so Sultan uh or Malik uh Arabic terms uh or Padisha uh the most favorite term the Ottomans uh, used these were generic terms uh, for rulership, and they mostly define the kind of rulership uh, you are exercising. Uh, Other than that, uh, they are simply honorific titles, which could be used by others as well. I'll come to that. As sovereign titles, uh, there were only a few available uh, to use. The first sovereign title the animals used was beg, e e g so if you adopt and uh portray yourself uh with that title that means you have an independent estate uh that you are not answering to anybody else uh you have full independence uh in that estate but that means a small principality uh, or small prince you can use uh, that uh, title as they expanded and the mongol rule Diminished in Western Anatolia, the Ottomans quickly transitioned to the title Khan. Uh, So Khan uh, was uh, the universally acknowledged title of sovereignty. Uh, So if you could claim it, that means uh, you are the sole independent ruler in your territories, uh, just like the Ottoman Mongol khan's. So they. Orhan, for example, the very name of Orhan is Orhan. So his father named him actually with the Khan title uh, without claiming the title at his birth, uh, of course. Uh, But from Orhan onwards, the Ottomans used this uh, title. Later on, they also used Shah uh, from the Persian uh, tradition. So three... Uh, titles of sovereignty in Ottoman usage uh, were Beg, Khan, and Shah. And the most distinguishing of these three was Khan. So to the very end, uh, even the last Ottoman uh, sultan uh, used Khan title uh, as a uh, as a uh, manifestation of independence. As for uh, Caliph, the Caliphate... Um, was strictly a religious uh, designation. It had nothing to do with sovereignty. It had nothing to do with the type of rulership one uh, was exercising. Caliphate relates uh, to one's um, relationship uh, to the authority that the Prophet Muhammad represented. And remember, uh, when the Ottomans were on the rise the Abbasid caliphate uh, was collapsed already. In 1258, uh, the Mongol armies came and the Abbasid caliphate uh, was officially ended. Uh, So there was no uh, ruler in the Muslim world who could claim uh, the title caliphate in the sense uh, the Abbasids uh, would claim it. Namely, by tracing uh, the lineage of their authority uh, not necessarily uh, their, uh, their ethnicity uh, or familial lineage, uh, but the type of authority uh, they could trace uh, to the Prophet. books. the Abbasids claimed uh, that they represent the same kind of authority which the Prophet Muhammad exercised as a statesman, as a political ruler. Now, that title was up in the air uh, in the post Abbasid uh, period a uh, number of dynasties, including the Ottomans, uh, started to claim it. But it never became um, a title of sovereignty. But from, the, uh, from mid-14th century onwards, uh, the Ottomans self-fashioned uh, themselves, caliphs, uh, claiming uh, that they, uh, their authority have the same qualities uh, as that of the Prophet and, and in the sense that they inherited that authority uh, from the Abbasids uh, and the Seljuks, but it wasn't uh, a title of sovereign it was the sovereign title was Khan
0: was there a difference between Sultan and Be- beg?
1: yes of course Beg means you are a sovereign ruler. Sultan means uh, only uh, a ruler in the sense uh, that uh, you hold the highest position uh, in the society, not necessarily as an independent ruler. That's why Sultan is attributed to a number of other uh, personalities. The dervishes, for example, in West Anatolia, uh, were called sultans. Uh, and even royal uh, ladies were also called sultans uh, in Ottoman usage. So it's mostly an honorific uh, term. In Arabic, uh, if you go back to the etymology of it, sultan means power. So anybody who uh, who is with uh, or the embodiment of power, it means. Uh, it implies uh, a person of high stature, Uh, and power, but not necessarily uh, independence or sovereignty.
0: Do you want to close, Hussein, with um, speaking about, because it seems like the the Ottomans um, grew very quickly um, in a short period of time. I think you mentioned by 1350, they were even starting to mint uh, coins around around that period of time. let let's end with a geopolitical type um question to close things off. Can you can you describe what the the what what you believe the geopolitical environment was like in this period of time that allowed the Ottomans to grow so quickly in in these uh early decades or or in the uh you know in a, in and eventually grew into quite a large empire?
1: Yes. Uh, there are a couple of factors uh Can consider in explaining the swift rise of the Ottomans. One was an obvious political fragmentation uh, of Western Anatolia. Namely, the Byzantine Empire was uh, already paralyzed uh, because of the Fourth Crusade, in the wake of Fourth Crusade, uh, let's say. Um, And then the Seljuk state Uh, was defeated by the Mongols, uh, which was um, subsequently uh, claimed by many, many, up to 30 different principalities in all of uh, Anatolia, competing against uh, each other. So this political fragmentation was conducive uh, to any independent uh, formation, uh, political or social, and the Ottomans took advantage uh, of it. What was Particularly helpful in the case of the Ottomans uh, was uh the fact that they were coming from a nomadic uh origin as opposed to many sedentary political entities uh, in the region. That made the Ottomans a lot more flexible uh and uh agile and successful military Uh they didn't have to uh protect uh their estates. Uh, basically, they were not uh, in farming business. Uh, they, uh, the, the very nomadic uh, structure of the uh, Ottomans enabled themselves them to strike good alliances uh, with the sedentary uh, populations uh, without uh, merging with them. Uh, so that made uh, the Ottomans uh, quite. Um, um, Uh, quite skillful in uh, reaching out uh, very quickly uh, to different parts of the uh, region. And then, uh, perhaps more importantly, they also allied uh, with those uh, independent communities uh, that were also forming uh, in the region, mostly Dervish uh, communities. Uh, so, so those dervish uh, communities were forming uh, in the region by, again, taking advantage of lack of uh, a centralized political uh, structure. They were not paying taxes, but they had their own uh, estates uh, and they, they had their own uh, followers with charismatic uh, leaders. Uh, so, Hajibek Beli, for example, a very important figure uh, from this uh, era, the very uh, Sheikh Edabali, uh whose daughter uh, Osman married, the founding uh, figure of the Ottoman dynasty, uh, was uh, a very popular Sufi figure uh, in the region with a following. Uh, so, those Sufi uh, figures uh, were as powerful uh, as political figures uh in the frontier uh because uh they were independent uh communities and they were self-sufficient uh communities namely they had their own uh, ways of uh income so that uh, beneficial alliance uh between sufis uh, and early ottoman uh, sultans uh, made them uh, a lot more acceptable uh for the broader uh community so those sufi figures uh, made Ottoman's uh, Ottoman legitimacy uh, more acceptable uh, for their constituencies, while the Ottomans, uh, still relying on their nomadic structures, uh, provided uh, security uh, and, and military guarantees uh, for the territories uh, they're expanding their rule uh, over. So these circumstances uh, helped Ottomans uh, to rise um among other competing rulers.
0: Okay. It was a pleasure speaking with you today, Hussein. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. So again everybody, the book that I mentioned at the start of the episode that Dr. Yomaz wrote, Caliphate Redefined: The Mystical Turn in Ottoman Political Thought. I'll drop a link to it in the show notes on the Ithacabound.com's associated subpage to this episode. Hussein and everybody listening, as always, wishing you a marvelous journey. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Hey again, if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast, and I wish you a bountiful rest of your day. Bye for now.